0: Okay, I do a little cheesy intro, so try not to laugh. Three, two, one, zero, record. Welcome to the ninth episode of the Passion Project, Project Podcast. Today, I'm sitting with Ben. And uh, Ben, you want to give us a quick introduction to who you are and what you do?
1: Hey, I'm Ben Greenberg. I'm a knife maker, and I supply rare woods to mainly knife makers at Greenberg Woods
0: at Greenbergs on Instagram. Yep.
1: Um, so I uh,
0: I came across a few accounts before I got to yours. Um, and the one that really piqued my interest that's been using your woods for some of their knives, I think, is the Artificery. Oh, um, yeah,
1: Will. Will's the great guy. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah I, see
1: him sometimes.
0: I was incredibly impressed by the Damascus stainless steel he makes. Yep. Yeah. And I was thinking since uh, you were into knife making and you did and do make knives, uh, if we could talk about forging billets or if you source them.
1: I forge, I forge Damascus. Yeah. Yeah. And I do what Will does. Will's is, Will is a genius. Oh, I, yeah. I give him advice about how to get basically cleaning stainless steel with acids. Um, something mm-hmm. of a specialty of mine, but I make Damascuses. I generally, I use a different mix than most people. Yeah. You know, you know, you know, a Damascus is a mix of two dissimilar steels, yeah. generally differentiated by manganese and nickel content, yeah, although I, you can I, have differing carbon contents as well. Yeah, I hear numbers,
0: I hear numbers like numbers 1050, 1050 and, 1080
1: and 1080 thrown around. Yeah. I'm so, a- so those are what's called 10X series steels. Mhm. So, generally there's 1010, 1018, 1050, 1075, 1080, or 1084, and 1095. Okay. And that those second numbers, the, that second pair of numbers, refers to the point percent of carbon. So mm-hmm. 1050 has one half of a percent of carbon. Okay. Got it. And that's about just enough to start to harden. mm mm-hmm. um, 1075, 0.75, that's a good amount. Mm-hmm. 0.84% is a special point of car- of carbon content. Yeah. It's called the yeah. point. Probably mispronounced that, but, um, and that's a special point. Um, okay. it has to do with heat treat. Okay. At that carbon content, it's the easiest it can be to heat treat.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: At the, it'll heat treat the lowest temperature, essentially. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, the main Damascus, so, An old timey Damascus that was really big in the 50s, for instance, Mm
3: -hmm.
1: was a mix of 1095 and 1010. So that used differing carbon contents and you could then expose it to acid. And because the high carb, the the 1095 would form a semenite structure after quenching and the 1018 doesn't have enough carbon to form semenite. Mm -hmm. The two would react differently to the acid, Mm -hmm. and they would get an etch difference.
0: And create that coloration that comes out in Damascus usually. Yes. So the one that
1: most people today know is using a manganese and a nickel steel. Generally, it's either 1080 and 15 n 20 Mm -hmm. or 1095 and 15 n 20. Okay. So nickel is highly resistant to acid. Mm
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, It forms a very, very quick passivation layer, which is an ultra thin layer of a nickel oxide, which seals the metal.
2: Yeah.
1: Whereas manganese, which is very useful for hardening steel, it produces is called a deep hardening steel, Mm -hmm. which is basically it's easier to heat treat. Um, So manganese makes steel etch very darkly. Yeah. So the 1084 that you'll get from a company like New Jersey Steel Baron is high in manganese because it's used as a beginner steel but it will work fine for any knife. Right. By combining that high nickel and high manganese steel and then manipulating the pattern when dipped in acid you have a very strong difference between the two. because It's not just carbon content. Now it's manganese versus nickel. So that's a very high contrast pattern.
0: Got it. Okay. So for a beginner like myself um, mm-hmm. try and walk me through, I guess, uh, what are the easiest choices of metal to start with, For uh, for
1: making, a knife or making Damascus, for making
0: Damascus. Yeah. And how much should I layer if I'm going for maybe something like a knife? How many, you know, how many grams should I start with, uh, in my billet or in my stack to make well, a billet
1: for, you know, uh, let's say a pocket off, knife. First things first, got to learn how to forge weld. Okay. Damascus steel is a series of rather complicated forge welds. Mm-hmm. You need to learn how to do a basic forge weld first. Okay. Um, the the standard way to start a forge weld is making what's called a flux spoon. Mm-hmm. Um, so for forge welding, you need to know the temperature. And it's best to actually to practice on mild steel, because mild steel welds at actually a higher temperature than carbon steel. Okay. Because of that hyper point I was talking about earlier. Yeah. But, so, you want to learn the color that steel should be before it will weld. I'd say that's the most common thing that prevents people making Damascus or anything, is having the steel just not hot enough. Got it. Okay. I've heard different ways of the color being described but in general, a lemon yellow with no more hints of orange.
0: Okay. Lemon yellow with no more hints of orange. Yeah. So so, so as it
1: heats up, it's gonna start off, you know, dull red and come mm-hmm. into the orange, and then it'll start to get a little yellow. In that mid lemony yellow is when you're gonna get the best forge well then.
0: hmm And and that's for mild steel or also tool steel?
1: Um you know, it, it's, it's not very different for the two. That's That should work for both. You, mm-hmm. wanna, you can get a bit of white heat into a mild steel, but okay. you can't do that with a carbon steel or you'll burn out the carbon. Okay.
2: All right. Makes sense. Um,
1: but actual Damascus production. Yeah. The first step is to clean everything. Absolutely all the steel has to be shiny. Um, okay. What I like to do is basically get a big magnet. And then put on the back of the steel, run it across a belt grinder at maybe a 50-grit belt. Mm-hmm. Everything should be clean. No scale, no nothing. Just okay. shiny metal. On
3: All right,
0: both sides. So that's a pretty high grit that you start with. You start with taking off everything and making sure it's completely flat, completely clean of anything. anything.
1: Scale, yeah. yeah. Okay. That will give you conclusions.
0: Uh, do you even wear so, gloves with this so you don't get your hand oils on this? Or I mean, it's
1: not that sensitive. You wear okay. gloves, because it's going to get really hot.
2: <laughs> okay,
1: got it. Um, yeah, there's a lot of friction there. So once everything is clean, another thing, you want to have carbon steel as the two outer layers. Okay,
2: you, so, so the as softer the steel.
3: Room,
1: no. Oh, the well, harder steel. If you're using nickel, if you're using 10, uh, 15 and 20... Mm -hmm. which is a nickel steel and say 1084, which is your manganese carbon steel. Yeah. As a general rule, nickel welds well to everything, but nickel. Okay. So you, you want the two outer layers Mm -hmm. to not be your nickel containing steel. Okay. Got it. Um, so, you know, you layer them all straight in layers, you know, how much are you going to yield? That depends, you know, if you're really good, you know, you, you get it out of the forge the second it's hot enough, you give it quick welds and get it back, you're not going to lose very much. Mm-hmm. If you're newer to it and you maybe, you know, you fuck, you fuck around with it a little bit, you're not sure if you get to the right temperature, you take yeah. it out of the anvil, you look at it, maybe it's not right, you put it back in, you're going to get more scaling and more loss.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Um, the other, So, you also need to do what's called a soak. So, when it's in the forge, you know, the inside is going to come up to temperature more slowly. So, you have to leave it in there for a good long while. I mean, ten minutes, maybe, is not, you know, at at a high forge. The other thing, don't face the edge of the billet towards the burner. Okay.
0: Alright. So, the face of the billet is what's facing the burner. Yeah,
1: facing the burner, yes. Okay, got it. Mm-hmm. Um, also, some people will TIG weld the billet sealed. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want to MIG weld, because if you MIG weld it, you'll get inclusions, because the MIG wire will spurt out into it, and that'll cause some nastiness. Mm-hmm. Okay, But you can weld it. Some people just use bail-in wire. There's lots of ways to do it.
0: Alright, so when when you uh, TIG weld it together, are you TIG welding on the the long side of the billet? Or are you just, you know. uh... You can do
1: both. You can do both. I know some people who seal the whole thing up, but most people just seal the ends, just weld the ends together to make it
2: Mm -hmm. so it
1: doesn't fall apart as it heats up. Got it. So when you pull it out of the forge, you know, you want to be as quick, practice the motion a few times. Mm -hmm. You know, how. Quickly, but safely, can you draw the billet out of the forge, put it on the anvil. get your hammer, and strike.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: The other big thing people may uh, mess up, they hit hot, really hot steel too hard. Okay. When you're forge building together, it's not about power. You want to think, think of a power hammer. Yeah. Fast, medium force taps. Not big swings. Just tap, 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 tap. Okay. So, if you hit it too hard, everything's going to smush out. You're going to mess with your pattern. You're going to get some inclusions. You're probably going to bust the edges. Mm. You want, you know, firm, but very quick hammer blows across the entire... Well, not the entire build at first. I generally weld about a third at a time.
0: A third. So, do you start at... Any specific end? Closer you to the can handle,
1: farther. End near you.
0: That, okay, so closer to the handle. Yes. Okay, or or tongs or whatever you're using. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Um Alright, that's quite helpful actually. Because I've been banging pretty hard and I'm pretty sure I haven't been getting it up to temperature is probably my yeah. issue.
1: Yeah. Temperature and you don't want to hit it too hard. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um so the Nickel steel, is that considered what, you know, what people call tool steel? Or is that... Oh, yeah.
1: 15 and 20 is a great steel. Okay. 15 and 20 is basically 1075 with nickel. Mm -hmm. It's actually one of my favorite steels. It's really nice to heat treat, holds a great edge. A lot of people are wary to use it by itself because they know it just from Damascus. But 15 and 20 is a great steel. Okay. 15 and 20. Got it.
0: Um, so with, with forging, do you have to go through any, uh, annealing and afterward hardening the billet, or do you, do you skip all that for, for the knife making part? What when do you mean? Forging out the knife. Um, I know that when you heat up, uh, metal and let it cool slowly, that it gets softer. Is that true? Annealing? Is that yeah. what it's called? Yeah. So that's, so yes, yeah, so that's,
1: yeah. So generally there's annealing normalizing, Mm -hmm. and hardening and tempering. Okay.
2: So does
0: any of that go into the forging process or is that all afterwards? Yeah, that's after.
1: So a general process might be, you know, assuming that you're not starting and assuming you're not making Damascus, you're just forging a knife Mm -hmm. would be forge it to rough shape, Mm
0: -hmm. normalize it,
1: so what is normalizing exactly? So normal. So steel has a gr- so actually, steel has a grain to it. It okay. actually has two grains. This causes confusion. Mm-hmm. So some. So there's grain as in a wood grain, a direction of flow. If you think of it like that. Yeah. Don't worry about that. Some mm-hmm. people get hung up on that. Don't worry. The important grain is like grains of sand. If you get a piece of steel hard and you break it and you look at the broken uh, face, Mm -hmm. if it looks like little grains of sand, it wasn't heat treated well. The grain grew too large. So grain growth occurs when the steel is really hot, essentially. So Mm -hmm. what you can do is normalize the grain. So... Generally, people do three normalizing steps at a decreasing temperature. So, the so. You might have heard about the Curie point, which is the point at which steel becomes no longer magnetic. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that. Checking steel with a magnet. Yeah. So it just so happens that that temperature is very close to the point, the transformation temperature of steel, when steel can become hardened. It's a few Mm -hmm. degrees above that.
3: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: So. To normalize steel, you would heat it past that point just a teeny bit, hmm? hold it hold it there for they say 5 minutes, but if you're in a forge, that's difficult to do, but hold it there for a little bit. Yeah. Get out and let it cool in air. All right. Okay. And then you put it back and you get it to exactly that transformation temperature as close as you can. So just slightly hotter then when it loses magnetism,
3: mm-hmm.
1: then you hold it there and you take it out and air cool it again. All right. And then you put it back and get it just about when it loses magnetism and hold it there and then take it out again and let the air cool.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: At that point, your blade has been normalized. The grain has been reduced. Okay. That's not an annealed blade. Annealing is not used all that much really because you know annealing is great if you're going to file your bevels but if you have a belt grinder why not use normalized steel Mm
3: -hmm. annealing
1: would be to heat it up to that same temperature and cool it very slowly either you could leave it in the forge after you shut it off Mm -hmm. some people bury it in ashes or vermiculite something insulating
2: yeah
0: okay got it So does it matter how many times you go through the normaling
1: cycle is a specific metal? In theory, you could keep doing it, but in general, three cycles is what most people do. Got it. And
0: do you try and get it all the way down to room temperature before you heat it back up again, or? Uh,
1: Basically hot enough where you wouldn't burn yourself touching it.
0: Okay. Got it. All right. That makes sense. So yeah, after the normalizing, you grind in the bevels. And then after grinding yes, in the bevels...
1: So you generally want to grind to... I mean, there's... Most people grind the edge to about the thickness of a dime. Mm-hmm. And then you can quench it. Okay, so that's the hard thing? Yes. So that's to heat it. You heat it back up to that transformation temperature. No longer Depending magnetic. Steel, you may need a soak period, which is basically keeping it at that temperature. If you're using a steel like 1084, you don't really need that soak, which okay. is why 1084 is such a great steel.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Then you quickly plunge it into a quenching medium. Don't use water. I've heard that. You're, you're going to break so many blades. <laughs> yeah, Canola oil works really quite well. Warm canola oil, about 120 degree canola oil. Mm. Um, you, know, you can buy professional quenchants. You can buy Parks 50. I like the, um, the quench from McMaster Car. Yeah. They have an 11 second quench that I like. Okay. So yes, then you quench it and then you temper it. Now, tempering is going to depend on how hard you want the final blade to be as well as what the steel is. Yeah. But essentially, you put it in an oven or a toaster at the temperature you want for two hours,
2: mm-hmm. take
1: it out. Let it cool down to room temperature, put it in, wait two more hours, take it out, let it cool down, and now you have hardened and tempered steel.
2: Okay.
0: Got it. Got it. And for um, for tempering, you probably want to look up a chart to what yep. kind of hardness you want and what yep. kind of blade it is and all that yep. kind of stuff.
1: Yep, yeah. Yep. There's lots of them. If you just look up, you know, any steel tempering or hardening, you'll you'll find it.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. That's that's very helpful actually. Uh, when I go back, I know what to do. Uh, yeah, I was trying to forge weld. Actually, um, I, I just found some scrap pieces of metal, cleaned them up with some acetone. Um, I cut up a bandsaw blade and just some mild steel.
1: So and... that bandsaw blade. So, you loop. Yeah. yeah. I use actually bandsaw blades for fifteen and twenty. But the bandsaw blades that I use for fifteen and twenty are about ten inches wide.
2: Oh wow! Okay. Yeah.
1: Um. Actually, there's a great guy who I've worked with who sells bandsaw blade like that. It's very, you know, it's about a foot and a half long by about ten inches wide. It's great if you're going to make Damascus. Yeah. Uh. He is J T Nides. J T Nides. Yeah, he's a great guy. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So home bandsaw blades are not. Going to be fifteen and twenty. Hmm.
0: Okay. So a normal band saw blade, um, like I, I have, I used a thicker band saw blade, something about uh three quarters of an inch, I think. Three quarters or, of an inch wide. You mean not thick? Yeah, wide. Definitely not thick. No. Yeah. no. Yeah. no again,
1: no. Again. Yeah, no. the Ones that are fifteen and twenty are for sawmills. You know, ten inches wide. They're yeah. huge. You okay. Would, you, you, you would know them.
0: Got it. So those
1: uh, normal band saw blades would probably not work so well. No, they won't. won't. Okay, yeah. They're generally going to either buy metal or only the tips are going to be hardened. Mm -hmm. Got it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Um, I would say if you're having trouble forge welding, first things first, clean the steel. Grind it clean mm -hmm. before you try to weld. Yeah. Next, make sure it's hot enough. Let it soak. Let it get to that yellow, that what you think is done. Mm. Give it a few more minutes. Because remember, the inside has to be that same temperature too. Yeah. And then move to the anvil quickly. I like to actually have my hammer in my right hand when I go to move. Because sometimes you know, you'll look for your hammer. Where did I put it down? This yeah. has to be a fast process. Mm-hmm. And then not too hard. Medium force, quick blows across the surface. And then get it back into the forge. Yeah. Won't, you know, after those first few seconds, you're not going to weld anything more because it's cooled down.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Get it back in the forge right away.
0: Got it. So you only have those few seconds from the forge to anvil, a few taps yeah. and put it back in. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, about the hammer, because yep. I don't have um, a specific hammer for forging. I've mm-hmm. just been using a large ball peen hammer, not the ball yeah, peen no. side, just the flat side.
1: I I used a ball peen hammer for years.
0: Okay, so
2: it works so like all right. Piece first.
1: You want to round over the corners, otherwise mm-hmm. you'll get lots of dings in your forging um, if you're not super skilled.
2: Yeah, basically which I'm to not. get a
1: flap di- get a flap disc, mm-hmm. and just kind of round it over and soften all the corners. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, perfect. And that way, uh, I'll avoid you know the very deep. Uh, yes. grooves I'm getting. in the you'll metal. you'll
1: avoid the noob dings. Essentially, they yeah. they look like little crescent moons. Yeah. that you're putting in the steel. Yep. Yeah, all That's over the sign place. Sign of someone who a is not very good with a hammer, but b didn't prep their hammer right. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So,
0: as someone who goes around to you know sawmills for fun and uh, likes to check out you know the scrap piles. Mm-hmm. I want to know some tips for telling good wood. I mean, we talked about figure, um, good but wood. yeah, um, I've seen some uh, tips. For example, uh, you said, or in one of your posts on Instagram that Ipe glows under black light.
1: Yeah. So that that's for wood identification. Yeah. I black light. I mean, you know, Identity. I have more woods than the average person. Mm-hmm. Fluorescence can be a useful method. In fact, it's one of the only ways to reliably determine if rosewood is Brazilian rosewood. Mm -hmm. Brazilian rosewood looks is unbelievably expensive. I have slabs of Brazilian worth thousands, Mm -hmm. but it looks very similar to other rosewoods. The best way to tell the difference is if you take some shavings of the rosewood that you are unsure of. Yeah. Put them in water and then shine a black light on it. If that water glows, it is not Brazilian rosewood because Brazilian rosewood does not have fluorescent water soluble extracts. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but yeah, so I mean, Ipe is pretty easy to determine because it's so heavy and hard. Mm hmm. You're not gonna mistake ipé for oak anytime soon. No. It has generally a green-gray color. Yeah. And it's really heavy. Got it. You know, I mean, what are some good beginner handles? Yeah. Um, ipé is mechanically great, but it's a really unattractive wood if it's not burled or figured. It's really pretty unattractive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, for instance, the three woods that I sell as beginner woods are kingwood, cocobolo, and African blackwood. Okay. I, sell each, I, I think I sell those for $17 each. Um, those are all really excellent handle materials. Yeah. If you really want to get something at your local sawmill, probably Paduke or purple heart. Um, they're very striking at first because padauk is bright red. Mm-hmm. Purple heart's purple. Yeah. But it is important to note that those colors will not last very long. The colors of those woods are quite short-lived.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the first knife I made, I made, uh, I used uh, purple heart for the scales or the handle. They turned uh, gray. It, uh, they, they do turn gray, but the issue I had with it actually is it was too brittle because yep. I think it wasn't stabilized.
1: Um, yeah. purple heart is a, so purple heart's very strong, but it is a bit brittle. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's not the toughest wood around. Rose, again, another reason I like rosewood—they're very tough. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I assume you had some cracking, and when you drilled through the outside of the hole, bust out. Yep, exactly. So the other thing about that is you didn't have it on a block of wood. Yeah. You want, whenever you're drawing holes in wood. So you were drilling over the hole in your drill press. You should have had the scale on a piece of wood, and that prevents that tear out.
0: Yeah. My real issue was actually with the cracking when I was, um, because I was trying to um, friction fit some brass pins mm-hmm. to, to peen over, mm-hmm. and uh, when I friction fit it too hard and hit it with the ball peen hammer, it yep. cracked around, around that,
1: that yep. hole that well, I uh, drilled. Yeah, I mean the other thing is, I assume you drew you drilled eighth inch holes and used eighth inch brass.
0: I actually drilled smaller holes. I uh,
1: eighth I think inch it, brass is not an eighth inch thick. It's a little thicker.
0: Yeah, I yeah yeah that's true actually. Yep, that's exactly what happened.
1: What I, what I do is I drill eighth inch holes and then I basically just rub, you know, I cut my pins and just give them a quick rub with some maybe sixty grit sandpaper. Just to make them about the right size.
2: Mm.
0: Okay. And how much do you leave on the end when peening down?
1: Um... I generally try to avoid peened pins. Okay. All so right. the thing is, okay, think about it this way. If you're epoxy on the so the pins are there to deal with shear forces. A shear force would be basically if you were to hit the the butt of the knife. It's a mm. force that is in a parallel plane to the handle. So yeah. pin, so the epoxy is really, 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 really good at you you call pull-away force. Mm. That's basically if you were to try to pull the scales off the handle. Yeah. That's what the epoxy is great at. You're never going to do that. Mm-hmm. What it's not great at is that shear force. That's what the pins are there for. The pins are really strong against shear force. Peening gives them gives those pins some resistance to that pull-away force. But if you're using good epoxy, you don't need it.
0: Mm-hmm. Got it. So you just and, usually just sand down the, yep, the brass yep, pins. I just have a flush. Flush.
1: As for good epoxy, mm-hmm. the longer the cure time, generally the better. Okay. Five-minute epoxy is not very good. It okay. has a mercaptan-based hardener which is not as good as the 12 or 24 hour ones Mm -hmm. so
0: when i travel around i like to get recommendations for places i can visit like sawmills or you know lumber stores Mm -hmm. um so uh, i believe you're based in the la region
1: uh i'm from la yeah yeah house of hardwood House of hardwood is is where i go
0: house of hardwood
1: if you're in San Diego, Tropical Exotic Hardwoods. Okay. Um, yeah, but House of Hardwood is is my thing. Yeah.
0: Okay, I'll make sure to visit when I have time or when I'm down there. Actually. Yeah. Um, so another quick question. Um, I'm just curious because the next knife I want to make is actually a chef's knife. Uh, mm-hmm. Making it That's as a little only gift. Knife I make. Yeah, um, because I saw it on your Instagram, so I wanted to ask you about it. Uh, so what type of steel do you usually use for a chef knife? Um, you know, run me through the basics. Uh, what do you start with? Uh, how do you grind it down? Uh, what kind of angle do you get on the grind? What kind of weight do you like? You know, uh, so
1: chef knives are, they're difficult. They are because, so first steel choice, Mm -hmm. really any tool steel will work, but you want something fine grained. Okay. You do not, so something like 01 steel would be great, mm-hmm. 1075, 1084, W2, um, 15 and 20 are all great steels for a chef knife. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, but the, the, the advice I would give for a chef knife, so first things first, the angle that you grind it to, that's a common question. The answer is there isn't really one. You're okay. not the way you grind a bevel isn't—you hold the blade at a specific angle and push it straight in. Mm. What you do is you start with a rather steep angle, and you slowly bring that back.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Um, you you do that by controlling where you apply pressure on the blade as you draw it across the grinder. Are you yeah. on, a, on a two by thirty-two or a one by thirty-one or two by seventy-two?
0: Um uh it's probably a two inch yeah a two inch uh
2: grinder okay yeah yeah
1: um yeah as for so the the main thing you know when you know whenever I help someone make a knife hmm. and they've been making chef knives, they'll be disappointed that it doesn't cut very well. The reason has to do with the thickness behind the edge, the edge geometry, okay, so. What people focus on is what's called the keenness of the edge. The keenness of the edge is in some respects, how sharp it is. Hmm. So if you think of an edge as a triangle, essentially, okay a dull edge, a not very keen edge, has a flat spot on top. Okay, makes sense. Okay? A very keen edge, a sharp edge, does not have a, has a smaller flat spot. okay. People get too focused. That's when you're sharpening a knife. That's what you're working on. Mm-hmm. But that is not what makes a good knife. You need to have a thin blade. What's called behind the edge. So if you actually measure the angle of a chef knife, it's yeah. going to be about, oh, one degree, 0. 0.7 degrees. Okay. The angle of the bevel is generally going to be ten to fifteen degrees.
0: Ten to fifteen. All right.
1: So where those two meet, you know, where where that the main bevel and the edge bevel meet, mm-hmm. the thickness right there is what's called the thickness behind the edge. The thickness behind the edge is where the main
0: is where the main bevel and the and the secondary bevel. Yes, where they meet. Okay, and so basically, you, the secondary bevel you get when sharpening, or is that correct, also on the grinder? Correct,
1: correct. The the primary bevel is the fact that the knife gets thinner, basically. Okay,
2: okay. got
1: it. The right. secondary bevel is the edge. That's what touches the food mm-hmm. that you're cutting. Okay. So, what's very important is the, that it be as thin as possible behind the edge. And that's difficult, because... You need to keep the steel cool. I dip in water after every pass. Mm-hmm. And you also just need to have control over it. Yeah. There's also the, um, the I've heard different things, that the two inches of death, you yeah. know, the, the dreaded two inches, which is, if you're on a two-inch grinder, yeah. you'll get a hollow spot about two inches in front of the... Uh, in front of the the ricasso, the uh, the plunge line. Okay. And that's because what people do is they're trying to fiddle around. They're trying to fit the plunge line to the right part of the belt, hmm. but they don't notice that two inches away at the edge of the grinder belt, they're digging in. Okay. So that that's just a matter of skill. There's no way to avoid that. You just have to practice.
0: Okay, I can't really even picture that, but yeah. I'll, I'll pay attention. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, but the, the important thing is your knife should be sharp before you sharpen it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go on Instagram, you'll see videos. Uh, for instance, carrots and potatoes. You should be able to chop up a carrot before the knife is sharp. Oh, okay. Before the secondary bevel. Correct, yes. So, for instance, if you try to cut a carrot and the carrot cracks or it breaks halfway through, mm-hmm. your knife is too fat. Okay. So, that's just a matter of skill. Again, it's mm-hmm. hard to do. You have to practice. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I started getting, you know, what I considered good bevels, maybe 20 knives in. Okay. That's a few you know, knives I mean, in. You know, if you have a teacher, it obviously speeds it up. Yeah. But, you know. But yeah, you need to have a thin edge, thin behind the edge. Yeah. I would recommend that you use about 0.1 thick steel or even 0.94 inch. No, sorry. 0.01 and 0.094.
2: Okay. Thin steel.
1: Wait, no. 0.1, 0.094. Yeah.
2: Okay. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was
1: pretty thin. Or 0.094. Alright. And that's not eighth inch. Eighth inch is generally too thick for everything but really big chef knives. Mm
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Got it. Yeah.
0: And how do you how do you weigh a chef knife? Uh, do you want the handle heavier than the blade or the blade heavier than the handle?
1: You know, it depends on the style, but after the handle is attached, the balance point should lie. About an inch in front of the end of the handle. So mm-hmm. if you think about pinching the blade with yeah. between thumb and index finger and mm-hmm. curling your other three fingers around the handle, your thumb and index finger should be holding it at the center of gravity.
2: Okay.
0: Okay. Yeah. That's, that's a clearer image right there. So, so
1: if you think about it this way, before you attach a handle the center of gravity should be ahead of that because you're going to add mass to the handle when you put a handle on it. Mm. So before it, when it's just ground without a handle, the the center of gravity should be ahead of that.
2: Yeah. Okay. okay.
1: Perfect. Also, wow. I just want to say one thing. Yeah. Don't put oil on your handles. No oil on the handles. Oh, why? Uh, oil makes wood look amazing there is no better look than freshly oiled wood Mm -hmm. however it will get dull and it will get dull fast the the metal the no no the
0: wood oiled wood okay the wood kind of glow quite quickly
1: okay so how do you finish the wood wax wax basically my my handle procedure i really I, i wish my blades were as nice as my handles my handle procedure is rough shape it, generally at a 30 grit, maybe a 40 grit belt. Okay. And then an 80 grit, and then a 100 grit. These are, you know, still shaping. And then I go to a J flex, a very flexible belt. Yeah. At 120 grit. And I start to shape it, and I make sure there's no scratches. And then I go to a J flex 220, and then a J flex 400, and then a J flex 600. And then I go to hand sanding, starting back at 200 grit, because it's very easy to miss a scratch.
2: Yeah.
1: Hand sand at 200s 400, 600, 800, 1000, back down to 600, 800, 1000. Again, because you'll miss little scratches, and that's very sad when it happens. Yeah. And then I go to the buffer, and I lightly buff it with either brown trickly compound or blue moon compound, which are both very soft buffing compounds. Okay. Buff it. And then I I produce my own wax finishes, but a carnauba wax or a paste wax can work. Yeah. On a clean cloth and just work it in. Rub it very vigorously. And then you have a finished handle.
2: Okay. All right. That's, that's
0: a good handle finishing tip. Um, yep. How about the metal? I'm actually curious. Does does the metal that does the tool steel rust? And if so, how do you finish the metal of your knife so it doesn't rust?
1: Yes, tool steel rust. If it's not stainless, it will rust, and it'll rust pretty quickly. Okay. The so, way you prevent it is generally with a patina. Hmm. So... Rust is one of the oxides of iron. Mm-hmm. I believe it's FeO3 Um, but there's other ones so for instance the best thing to do I've heard is make beef stew use it use it on food you'll look at it it'll kind of have these blue and grey splotches okay where it has that patina it won't rust Um, some people do a forced patina they basically put lemon juice or mustard or vinegar on it Mm -hmm. that works too you can dip your blade in boiling hot vinegar Okay. And that will build up a patina. But essentially, you can't. It's very difficult to have a carbon steel knife that stays shiny. The key is generally a patina acid or just using it. And just, you know, wipe it off after you use it. Mm. And as you use it, it'll develop a patina. Oh. Okay. Don't, store, don't store them wet. Don't store them, you know, covered in stuff. Just give them a quick wipe, put them away. They won't stay shiny, but they shouldn't rest. Mm -hmm.
0: Okay. So as someone who makes a knife, do you think, do do you finish your knives a specific way? Do you etch them in acid before you ship them off or give them to a friend?
1: Nope, nope. nope. If it's a carbon steel knife, I I do a satin finish, and I say, hey, it's going to change color a little bit. Don't worry.
0: Any more tips for someone getting into forging or, uh, I guess... I mean, handle making, anything, anything
1: you can give us before we end? Um, for forging, the main thing would be don't hit it too hot, don't hit it too cold. Once okay. the steel is no longer actively glowing, glow depends on lighting, don't hit it. You're going to start to introduce micro cracks and fissures. Um, and don't hit it too hot, or it's going to start to crumble. You... For basic forging, you generally want to go from a bright orange to a dull red. Okay. You really wanna go outside that color range or you're gonna to start to introduce fissures and cracks. Mm-hmm. Um for handles, dry fit. Before you get your epoxy mixed and everything, you know, covered in glue, mm-hmm. make sure they fit together. Make sure you didn't accidentally, you know, put the wrong sides facing out. Make sure your pins fit. Yeah. Because when epoxy is out and everything is sticky, and there's you're racing against the clock, you're not gonna have fun with it. You want to check everything beforehand. Yeah. And again, I would say back to thin cuts. There's a, a saying amongst knife makers: geometry cuts, steel choice determines for how long. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't matter if you have the fanciest steel if it's too thick not going to cut well your knives should be sharp before you sharpen them if you have calipers you know a good pair of digital calipers mm-hmm. about um 0.005 to 0.01 inches behind the edge or, yeah 0.01 inches behind the edge it should be thin and that's difficult to do you might you know you might overheat the steel you're gonna have to make you got know, to either grind it out or try again it takes a lot of practice to make a good kitchen knife that's why good kitchen knives are so expensive it takes a lot of skill yeah definitely um if you want good resources mm-hmm. um alex steel oh yeah a great I love guy oh, yeah. yeah actually just sent him a, a bunch of wood was, uh, oh really yeah, yeah. Wow! No way. I, think he, I, might be on a, I might be on a video with him. I have some. Um, I have some forgeable titanium um, that I think he wants to use. Oh, dude, that's crazy! Congratulations, yeah. Walter. Yeah, thank you, Walter Sorrels. I have sold him wood too. Wow. He has more instructional videos. His yeah. are, his stuff is great. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to get really into it, um, flat grinding with Harvey Dean. Harvey Dean's a master smith. Harvey, Dean. it's a DVD. Mm-hmm. He's really, you know, he's he's amazing. Okay. Um, Blade forums has great advice. That's where I got started, mm-hmm. God, seven years ago. Um, but yeah, yeah. Okay. Perfect. Read a bunch, but don't forget to make knives. You're not a knife maker unless you make knives.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are some great tips. So I'm gonna make sure to include all those uh, all those resources in my write up as well and uh if i forget anything let me know so thanks once again ben for joining me um if you guys want to visit ben and see his work you can visit him on instagram at greenberg underscore woods woods so at greenberg underscore woods or visit his website at Greenberg. greenberg woods um make sure to hit him up and tell him i sent you perfect yeah that's that's a lot i've learned a ton so thank you very much i appreciate this uh, i appreciate your time and uh hopefully if i'm ever in the la area uh if you don't mind i'd love to visit your shop
1: this your destiny real fake ones cuz they know that
0: one day you're making it jealousy's all they can feel fucking the phone shifting my soul painting the future when thinking alone but when i'm grown